kick in by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. All right, we're back through the first week of Ducks hockey, <laughs> joined by Steven and Jason today. Pack, unfortunately, last minute technical difficulties couldn't make the show. So it'll be uh, it'll be the three of us for the first weekly show of the season. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Ducks are doing better than I expected. <laughs> one and one. <laughs> <laughs> expected 0 and 2. We'll take the wins wherever we can, right? So not bad. For sure. Especially on opening night. Well, yeah, I mean, that was nice. It was going to be a tough game. Steven and I did post-game show after that game, so thankful that if they picked one of the games to win, it was it was on opening night, and we got some some headline uh, topics to talk about for that game. Obviously, the big one was McTavish getting his first NHL goal and getting an assist along the way. Uh, not even supposed to start that game. Max Jones was supposed to be in and ended up uh, having a non-COVID-related illness and was out of the game, but I mean, we'll take it. Listen, like a, a one and one after two games, first week, and power plays look better. I think it's thirty three percent right now, ranked eighth in the league. Penalty kills ninety percent. Uh, you know, the Minnesota game was a bit more reminiscent of last year, but there's uh, some positives, right? There's there's some things to lean on at the start of the year that you could say, okay, this would be a little bit different than last year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, specifically, yeah, in that first game, the fact that we they were scoring goals, I mean, uh, we still had a lot of our old tendencies, and that is to get out shot heavily um, and, you know, not look all that great, but, you know, somehow sticking around. But usually we still end up losing those games, so it was nice to, to get those goals um, and uh, get them, you know, fairly honestly, especially on the power play. That's huge for us. Yeah. yeah, it was funny at the end, at the end of the Minnesota game, I was kind of watching it and it got down to like, I don't know, 45 seconds, minute left in the game. And I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> once again, we're going to see incredible goaltending and a power play point get us three out of four points in two games. We probably shouldn't have any. Po- and then seven seconds left in the game for no scores. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> but still, the only reason they were in that game was because Stolarz played great. Mm-hmm. And because they got the one power play goal. So, like, you know, I mean, me and Ed talked about it after the show, and we've talked about it a bunch, like, uh, after the game. But, like, that's that's the recipe. If they're going to win games, it's going to be that way because they're not kicking anybody's ass at 5 5 For sure. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you look at the some of the good things from that first game. A lot more good in the first game against Winnipeg than against Minnesota. Uh, but the re- recurring trend in both of them were getting heavily outshot, like you said, and then... Gibson stepping up to the plate and playing superhuman as he seems to always do in season opening games and uh, leading the Ducks to victory in game one. And then Anthony Stolar is literally doing his best. I think he had 40 or 41 saves uh, against the Wild in a game that the Ducks probably should have lost four or five one. But uh, he stood on his head. It's one of those performances where, you know, he made 40 saves, maybe three or four of them were really high quality scoring chances for the Wild and the two that they scored. But just a high-volume shooting night for the Wild, and, and he did enough. But, again, 
as the problem has been over the last three or four years, the Ducks can't score enough goals to win them those games, or at least consistently, because they did it in game one where they put four past uh, the Jets and they weren't able to do it against Minnesota. But in in that first game, obviously McTavish getting the, the his first goal and assist was a positive. Isaac Linderstrom centering a new look third line with McTavish and Silverberg grabbing two assists. Silverberg got, uh, I believe, two assists in that game as well. Uh, power play stepping up. Ducks get two power play goals in that game. Some things to, to hold on to. Like Ben Wiley Grew also made his debut. Obviously, Zegris and Drysdale coming in, and Drysdale in a new pairing with Hampus Lindholm. So, some some positives to draw from that you can look at and say, okay, like they're moving in the right direction. Some of the pieces are, are starting to come into place here. And ultimately, they come out with a win. So, there's not much you can really complain about in game one. And, you know, we, did, we already kind of briefly mentioned it, but John Gibson playing well to start the season is huge for the Ducks, too. Yeah, it kind of sucks Tavish gets his goal, and then it's like you can't really have that celebration because he's the ref wanted to blow the whistle like immediately when it touched Hellebuck. It just kind of figures. It just, all right, that's his first goal. You're going to screw it up like that, and he has to go and wait for it. But it was kind of fun to see the celebration on the bench and everyone coming yeah. over. That was cool. kind of yeah, that fun. was fun. That, that, uh, that genuinely almost made up for it. I agree with you yeah. because he was so stoked, and then it's yeah, immediately yeah. like, oh, no, wait, wait what? Off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then mobbed on the bench, which was great to see. So this is the loudest I've heard, and obviously on TV, but I'm sure it was louder there. And from what I've heard from people, but it's the loudest I've heard Honda Center in a while for Trevor, <laughs> or you know, since probably last year when Trevor Zegers got his first NHL goal uh, for McTavish <laughs> to come into a game that people didn't expect him to play in and and get a goal and and, and get it in a way that you expect him to, right? Like obviously the. <laughs> The not so nice comparisons to Nick Ritchie are there, wearing 37, coming from the Peterborough Peets, being a bit of a bigger guy coming into the NHL. It's tough to kind of get away from that, but he's parked right in front of the net. He's got good hands, and he's able to put the puck in the back of the net. And, you know, the assist he picked up, I think, was on the power play and, and was a secondary assist. But even in the game against Minnesota, too, like he's doing all the little things right now that he can do with his size and the ability that he has now. And it makes you look forward to the future for him in the sense that you know everything else will come. He'll get more comfortable. He'll you know start to learn the league a little bit more, and the goals will come. And you know the the kind of flair that he can have to his game will come at some point. But there there's already that kind of diamond in the rough that you can see with him that maybe you didn't see with Nick Ritchie in the first few games back when Nick Nick, Nick Ritchie made his debut. There's there's just a lot more potential there with McTavish and you can already see it right off the bat. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much we want to say diamond in the rough, given that he was the third overall pick. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. Obviously, you know, the timeline is accelerated and there's really no reason for him to have made the roster this forever. Any of us expected things like that, but it was nice to see him get in the game and be effective in both games, you know? Um, but I, I don't know that I would say diamond in the rough. I think so many of us are just a little uh, jaded or cautious because of the all the early comparisons from Ducks Twitter to Nick Ritchie and then uh, the fact that he put on 37, which I can't tell if it's a troll move and I love it. Or, I want to know who made that decision. Uh, yeah, some, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> don't think anybody sat him down and was like, Look, kid, I get it. The full number. You don't want this. You don't want, <laughs> you don't want any part of this. You don't need these struggles. I don't even think it's, it's like his regular number, too. So it, it's like one of the 
there. Like Zegers is forty six or Drysdale's thirty four. Like it's just a a number that assigned to them by the Ducks. They like those kind of high thirties, forties, fifty numbers for their their rookies until they're a few years in the league and then they end up changing. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Normally, it's in the fifties and sixties, so like it's kind of surprising that these last three have had relatively no numbers, all things considered. Because like Terry was sixty-one and now he's nineteen, yeah. and you know I know we've been talking about all the different things uh, we keep seeing, but I keep seeing nineteen and keep thinking it's Andy McDonald. Come to I was what fifty-three. <laughs> I was a forty-four. Yeah. Now he's forty. And now he's forty-four. Yeah, and that's th- that's throwing me off every time. I, I know that. <laughs> I, that threw me off in preseason and like. Yeah, I think you were we were you and me were talking about this, but uh, like Rob Niedemeyer for a lot of people, mm-hmm. or Nate Thompson, mm-hmm. or a few other guys that kind of check that box of, of who you remember wearing forty four because there's not there's not been too many guys that have worn it, and like the guys that have right. not really been uh, at the I guess skill level of of Comtois, right? So it's uh, it's throwing me yeah. off a bit. I'm used to seeing fifty three out there, even like Isaac Lindish from twenty one, and sometimes Terry at nineteen. Like it's a little adjustment to get uh, to get used to some of these guys mm-hmm. out there. Dude, I get up, get up in the Minnesota game. I was like, who the hell is twenty one? Oh shit, that's my guy. <laughs> Whoops. It, it's gonna take. I mean, like eventually too. Zegris probably gonna go to what thirteen. Or maybe eleven, Probably. and then uh, Drysdale, I think, was number four. Obviously, not going to get four in, in Anaheim as long as Cam Fowler's here. So we'll see. But I, I would assume he would change at some point because as we need a three, we need a good three to wash this to wash the Clayton Stoner <laughs> oh, out of our yeah. mouths. <laughs> he's living his best life. I always see these updates of him on Instagram. He's just out hunting. I think he he lives like in northern Canada now. He's just out doing his thing. No Just stop killing bears. grizzly bears. <laughs> yeah. yeah, out of the limelight now, so it's uh, he's not getting in the papers. But uh, we can't we can't get out of the game uh, against Winnipeg without talking about some of the bad. And uh, Greg Pattern was another guy who made his debut for the Ducks. Obviously, not a rookie by any means, uh, but one of the off-season additions for the Ducks. And and a guy. How old is he? Is he like thirty-two or something? He's up thirty-one. There, yeah, yeah, he's 31. considered a veteran at this point and kind of been bouncing around a few teams in you know, the last few years. I think it was like four or five years ago he was you know, considered a pretty good five or six defenseman to have and a lot of teams liked having mm-hmm. him around. He's like what for good reason. Like he was a, a good kind of role player to have. Now it, it kinda looks like his best days are past him. And he's on a team that, you know, he, again, it doesn't really serve him to be on the ducks either. Like he, he's a guy you would like to have maybe as a six or a seven on a good team that you can kind of shelter him in. Uh, and work him into the lineup, but didn't look great in the game against Winnipeg. Looked just awful in the game against God Minnesota, awful. and that ended up uh, see, with him yeah. going on waivers. Right, and he just cleared today. So, yeah. See, I thought his game in Winnipeg was fine. Like, I I don't think there was anything that I was overly excited about. But by and large, you know, he seemed all right. He seemed to be in the right places. He was physical. You know, all that stuff that you want from your fifth six you know right-handed physical defenseman so like yeah he was fine the minnesota game he looked abysmal like he looked unplayable i think it was you ed who tweeted something out like he just can't get back in after the yeah. showing like he's yeah. gotta sit and you know and 
credit to the organization. Like they recognized it, and they were probably two of the worst players on the team. And they were just like, "All right, that's enough." Everybody. Is that the first time that fans in the organization have seen eye to eye publicly? Where like the day after we see a player go on waiver, so immediate an immediate response. he wasn't even the most surprising one. I I knew we were running this team. Pattern going on waivers, it is what it is. Like it was not to say it was going to happen at some point, but you're not surprised. The big one. Was Derek Grant going on waivers? I didn't. I never mm-hmm. thought we would see this day that Derek Grant would go on waivers. I just obviously Bob Murray loves him. He loves being in Anaheim. Dallas Aiken loves him. Plays him like sixteen minutes a night, and all of a sudden, yeah, he's an elite first line center, Eddie. That's how much time they get. <laughs> he's 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 got to he's got to earn that yeah. back. Well, like he gone. he is what he is, right? He's a fourth line center, and he and he is like yeah. a decent fourth line center, but. He like Sam Steele's out of lineup, and not that Sam Steele has played well in the past, but I would rather see Sam Steele than see Derek Grant. Uh, I you know I'd rather see Milano and Volkov who are in San Diego than Derek Grant at this point. And, and Grant hasn't had a great start to the season, and and you think like his bread and butter, and one of the reasons he was in the lineup for so long is because the Ducks didn't really have any other penalty killing forwards that they could put out there that were as effective as Derek Grant. And now Benoit Olivier Grew comes out into the fold this year and has looked really good on the penalty kill. It was a little shaky in his first few kills in the Winnipeg game and then got stronger as it went on. I thought he was pretty good in the game against Minnesota as well. So now he can fill that spot and you can watch him develop and whether he develops, you know, a full year on the fourth line and moves up later, I think that's better for him than necessarily going back down to San Diego and being a first line forward again. I, I think his projectable future is as a third line, fourth line guy. So for him, I don't think it hurts his development to be on the fourth line, potentially playing with guys like Nick Delorier or Max Jones if he comes back in, or Sam Steele, and, and getting some reps in, and specifically getting reps in on the penalty kill. And, and then Isaac Lindstrom too. He looked, he's looked good on the penalty kill as well. So now they've got guys who can fill that spot. So it's nice of the organization, I, I don't know if this is the reasoning, but to recognize that and say, like, we don't need this guy right now. We want to get some other guys in, see what you know, see what they can do, and and what type of player they are. And the guy who sacrifices that is Derek Grant, and he's the only guy I think that doesn't bring, like at least does bring something else that not a lot of guys to this lineup does. I don't necessarily yeah. agree he should be in there on a nightly basis. You know, Stephen, you and me talked about this in the mailbag episode that he could be a guy that could play forty or fifty games a year and come in and against some of the bigger, tougher mm-hmm. teams and and fill a role there. But at least he does something different. You know, Max Jones maybe could do that, but not maybe to the same enforcer level as Delorier. But now you've got guys who can do what Grant can do. He has to make way, and, and I'm glad they recognize that and, and put him on waivers. Yeah, just wish, kind of wish someone just took him. Yeah. <laughs> take, take him off our hands would be a nice. little bit, you know. Yeah, it's weird how nobody wants him at 1.5 for the next few years. <laughs> who could have seen that? Guy? Um, But no, I, I agree. I think... You know, I think I tweeted that out after the Minnesota game. Like, Gru looks ready, man. Like, I, you know, I don't think he's, like, an automatic impact player or anything like that. But he definitely looks ready to get 60, 65, you know, games that uh, at the NHL level. Like, he's exactly at a place right now where, like you said, like, put him in on that third line, fourth line, whatever. Let him get out there. Let him play defensive zone face-offs and penalty killing and just get him used to that checking role that he is going to fill for this team going forward. Um, you know, I, if he gets burned, he gets burned. I don't really care. We can get into the end of the Minnesota game later, but like 
I think the one thing that was pretty interesting um, for me was seeing how the difference in roster constructions for Winnipeg and Minnesota reflected what the Ducks are, right? Because, like, the truth of it is they got ragdolled by Winnipeg, but that's because Winnipeg's skill is all at their forwards. And they only got balls past Hellebuck because two of them came on the power play. So, like, you know, you see that. But Minnesota, that that defense is really good. That defense for them can skate, they can pass, they can play physical. You know what I mean? Like, they can pretty much do it all. They have a bunch of really good defenders in that group with Spurgeon and Dumba and Brodeen. And that made it harder for Anaheim to get in aggressively on the forecheck. It made it harder for them to push the pace on the attack and it led to a much lower scoring game because they had the defense to mitigate the little bit of speed. attacking and speed that Anaheim has. You know, I think in a year, by the end of the season, whatever, like you're going to be looking at Segris and Comtois and, you know, McTavish and stuff like that and being like, all right, we need to see you push it a little bit more. But right now, like, you know, they're three kids. They haven't played 75 games. Like, no one's worried about it. So I, I just thought that was an interesting thing to see, uh, you know, just the way that that was kind of the, the rosters of our opponents kind of impacted the way the Ducks clearly played. Yeah, how they wanted to push their game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I guess the last big thing we saw from that game was uh, where John Gibson got injured, uh, assuming that it's the play where he gets run by Andrew Kopp. And uh, was slow to get up. I think it took him about two or three minutes to fully get up. He ends up finishing the game. We've seen this from Gibson in the past, where he'll finish the game and then he'll come out, you know, before the next game that he has an upper body or lower body injury and he misses the game. And Dostal came up to be the backup. Stolarz got the start and looked great. Um, I think Dostal's been now removed from the roster, so it looks like John Gibson is healthy. And it was just a precautionary thing, like. We don't know how this game's going to go. We don't want to have him have to come in as the backup mm-hmm. and you know potentially injure himself more. There's a few days of rest after this, so let's just give him the night off. We've seen that before, but it was nice to see the Ducks respond. Not only to that, I think McTavish got need at one point in the game, and uh, it was Shattenkirk, I think, who um, mm-hmm. ended up. I, I forget who it was who who need uh, McTavish, but he ended up taking liberty with that and, and going after guys. So just some more kind of activity from the Ducks team and sticking up for guys and, and, and kind of playing a bit more as a team and things we didn't really see from guys outside of Deloria last year. So it was nice to see that and obviously now nice to see that John Gibson is is feeling a little bit better and ready to go for the upcoming week because the Ducks got four games this upcoming week. So he, he's going to... Including a back-to-back. Yeah, he's going to yeah. be important. He's going to mm-hmm. play potentially three of those, whether it be you know Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or Monday, Thursday, Saturday. He's, he's going to play a big part this week of uh, if the Ducks are going to you know, get out a couple wins here. So, Jay, I wanted to yeah. ask you, what what was your thought on the play between Cop uh, and Gibby and all that? Like, where are you at on that as far as... Because it, it, it seemed to me that... I, like, I don't really have any issues with Cop did, with what Cop did. It seemed like the biggest issue was that Gibby's legs were just un- directly under him in a way that he couldn't get out of taking that hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? Where were you at? Yeah, I didn't have you know too big of a of a problem with it either. Like I said, it just it seemed more more of an unfortunate outcome than than it really was that it was you know intentional or reckless or anything like that. So if it's in the middle of 
trying to, to make a play happen. Um, you know, I'm a little bit more lenient on it, and it just had an unfortunate ending in that one. It just it didn't seem like it was, like I said, either, you know, reckless. It was just unfortunate. Yeah, like, I, I yeah. looked at that one, and I, a lot of people got really upset about that play. To me, like, I just don't know where Cop could have gone. Like, if that was Jones or McTavish or somebody on our team running Hellebuck the way that Cop ran Gibson, I think we'd all be saying, like, what is he supposed to do there? How is he supposed to slow down or get out of the way? Like, he's going at full speed, driving to the net, and it's not like the puck, he loses the puck or shoots it earlier and continues to drive into the net. Like, he drives with the puck into John Gibson. Like, that's kind of what you want from players like that. And it's unfortunate that Gibson has his, his uh, leg against the post and potentially gets injured after that. But I don't see it as being, you know, intentional or reckless play. Like, it's just a forward driving the net. And it happens, and goalies get hit that way. And, you know, the Ducks stuck up for Gibson and, and went after Cop and went after him after the play a, a few minutes later as well. And that's all you can ask for in that situation. But I don't... I don't think it was malicious from Cop, and he was trying to injure John Gibson. It's just one of those plays. Like that's just kind of what you expect. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, Cop's got to answer that. And it's kind of that mm-hmm. same thing that uh, happened last year with uh, with Perry when he uh, took out who was it? He ended up taking out somebody with a knee. And then even though it was, oh, yeah. it was, uh, it was he hit the bars in the head in the playoffs. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was completely accidental. Yeah. But he had to answer for it. That's the thing. I mean, it's like. You know, even though it's not your fault, this did happen. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. And it kind of, I think it gets settled within the game there a little bit. So Yeah, right. I think, you know, I think for me, that's, that's like, I understand, like, okay, let me say it this way. If he drives the net like that, I think I, there is something to be said, I guess, of like, he didn't even try to pretend to get out of the way. Like, yeah, I think he 100% accepted that he was just going to hit Gibby. But like Eddie said, it was in the middle of making a play. Um, he was driving hard to the net. The way Gibby's body was wasn't great. And like, yeah, he should get jumped after the whistle. Like he 100% because you as a team can't let that happen to your goalie. And it's the same thing as you guys said. If Jonesy did it or McTavish did it or somebody else drove the net like that, I would expect them to get their asses kicked because that's how that's supposed to work because you can't let guys drive your goalie like that. But there's a space between we need to respond to a thing that has happened and this is dirt. And I, I think that space is getting smaller and smaller for a lot of people. And for me, this was a perfectly reasonable hockey play where, I mean, this wasn't even like Perry waiting until the whistle to just fall. You know what I mean? Like we saw Perry did that. He did that. Uh, he's already done that in Tampa Bay. He like just fell on top of uh, one of the other players. And it's, yeah, you know, get your ass kicked for that. But there shouldn't be supplemental discipline, nobody crap. It should just, yeah, you got to answer a fight or you're going to get run a couple times, and that's that. So, I don't know. Felt like a lot of reacting to nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just emotions. People. Yeah, I mean, but, like, I get it in a sense. Like, nobody wants to see John Gibson get run, and we know, you know, I, everybody cringes when you say this, but John Gibson's injury histories, at, at least, like, I don't think it's his injury history is as bad as a lot of people put it up to be. But you don't want to see your superstar goalie get run, especially the game he was having and how important he is to the Ducks right now with mm-hmm. how bad they are offensively that you don't want to see him get hurt. And the backup drop off, as great as Anthony Stolarz played, it's 
Gibson, Stolarz, Dostal, Ole Eriksson Act. Like, there isn't a guy right behind him that you can say is a 1B, mm-hmm. right? That you can step in and, and no, replace No him. Ryan Miller's. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. even that. No Ryan Miller anymore. And that's, that's the play that came to mind is like people are reacting to this like it was when Lucic ran Ryan Miller. Like, no, that's an entirely different thing. Like, so. You know, I yeah, it felt like a lot of overreacting to nothing. Like, I get why the team has to respond, but like, yeah, I don't like my opinion of Cop isn't changed by this. I still think he's just a solid two way player, and like, he's just he's just a good player who plays a hard physical game. Like, yeah, that's that's what he is. If Gru did that in five years, you know, whatever, like, that's fine with me. I'm not I'm not going to be upset about that. Yeah, we've we've got so. a, a few people in the chat that uh, are kind of on both sides of it. I think Dave and, and Dalton. Uh, are kind of on the side that it was a legal play with with that could injure an opposing player. Um, I believe they they're talking about the cop the cop hit here. And, yeah. Uh, and Shane was saying that uh, what we were kind of saying here is full speed on his way towards the crease. Um, you know, not sure what you kind of expect at that point. Uh, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, so it is what it is. It's a contact yeah, score. It, it's yeah. it's going to happen. Yep. And luckily, John Gibson isn't hurt, so we can. Move on to it uh, until the next one. Uh, we'll briefly talk about the wild game here. Not too exciting. Uh, the good thing about that game is Silverberg continued his nice start to the season. Get picked up his first goal to go along with two assists in the first game. I think he's got two points on the power play, three points in two games, had five shots in that game. He he's looked good, and and I like that line. I like his fit with Isaac Lindstrom. It's a new look that we really haven't seen. McTavish is playing on that line right now, and I like the way the three of them play. I'm not sure like McTavish is a mainstay for the entire season on that line because they're going to have to make a decision at some point whether they want to keep him up or, or send him back down to the OHL. But I, I do like the kind of duo play we've seen from Lindstrom and Silverberg, which makes you think no matter who plays, whether it's Jones or whoever that slots in eventually with them, that that could be an interesting line all season. Because we were all hyped about Zegris and Terry and Comtois, and that didn't happen. It was Zegris, Henrik, and Raquel, and Getzlaff, Comtois, Terry, and you kind of put those lines up, and everybody's talking about those ones, and Lindstrom and Silverberg kind of go off to the wayside. But that's been the Ducks' best line this year. Lindstrom's been one of their best players. Silverberg's probably been their best offensive player, and McTavish has looked really good. And you look at who's leading the team in points right now, and it's those three guys. So it, it's been fun to, to see those guys gel so quickly. And, you know, eventually those top two lines with Zegers and Getzlaff will figure themselves out. So it's nice to see those guys kind of surprise and, and get off to such a good start. Yeah, if, if the top line's not going to be doing it, then you need someone else to kind of step in there. But, uh, yeah, I've been impressed with uh, uh, Silverberg again. Uh, even on the second power play, he's kind of got that same spot that Ryan Getzloff had. And even that Minnesota game, he was, he was throwing some, some bomb slap shots uh, towards the goal and uh, either, you know, either went wide or hit something or something like that. But uh, he's noticeably... I would say better. Uh, seems seems a little quicker. Seems like his uh, mm-hmm. shots a little bit better as well. So at least a, a good start to the season. Yeah, I feel like him and Shattenkirk both look like the whatever procedures they had this off season really did a good amount for them. Like I thought Shattenkirk has looked good. He's looked a lot closer to the guy um, that <laughs> we kind of expected him to be. Uh, but I also think, like me and Ed talked about, part of that is that he's farther down the lineup. He's not being asked to play top four minutes. He's allowed to just be an offensive play driver on a third pair. So, you know, he's much more of a support player, an auxiliary player, than he is a, 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 a driving player. 
I don't know. I saw him in that Minnesota game. He had the puck uh, kind of in front of Gibby, and he was just really nonchalant about it. Or sorry, in front of Stollers. He was really nonchalant about it, um, even though he had a guy on his hip. He was trying to do this little thing, you know, with, you know he's, he's facing Stollers, and he's got some, you know, a, a wild player on him. Ends up just losing the puck right there, and then creates the turnover, and then that's the first penalty. I think it was uh, Paterin had to come over there and, basically mm-hmm. drew, ended up having a draw penalty because of that, that half-assed, half-hearted play. And um, I can think back to the uh, the, the Winnipeg game where uh, the goal that went in, he, he was a high screen on Gibby, and he was just, he's just standing there. He's, he wasn't really taking it away. He was just kind of standing in the way of Gibby and that, you know, providing the screen. So for me, he, he often looks out of place and he's often beat. Um, he's... I don't like him. He's a five, six defenseman most of the time. And even then, if it just wasn't for the salary and the fact that we don't have a more reliable five, six guy, I think that's one of the reasons why they have him off. We just don't have any depth. So he's got to do it, but I just don't see anything too redeeming. Yeah. Especially for the, the thing is like, I agree with both of you in the sense that I think Shattenkirk looks like a five, six, but I think that's good because he's, being utilized as a 5-6 this year instead of being a top four guy. I don't think he's a top four guy anymore. He's a 5-6, five, 5 on 5. He's a second power play guy. I think him being kind of sheltered like that, he's going to make his mistakes. And I think if you take out how much he makes and what the Ducks brought him in to be, which was like a first power play top four guy, then I think mm-hmm. he's doing all right. Like, you know, I think there's been guys who've been clearly worse. I think obviously Greg Pattern has been worse. I think Josh Manson's mm-hmm. been worse. Um, I like what I've seen from yeah. Lindholm and Drysdale. I think Cam Fowler's been pretty decent. Shannon Craig's been their fourth best defenseman, I, I would say, so far to start the season here, which is not too bad. And you think, you know, if Josh Mahurd comes in and eventually if Josh Manson can play well, then it's not so bad having a guy like Shattenkirk as that kind of <laughs> five six secondary option. Like it, for the Ducks, it doesn't matter that they're paying him over three million dollars. They're not really up against the cap. They're not trying to be a competitive team. And I think he takes a little bit of pressure off Jamie Drysdale in the sense that the way he started the season, a couple power play points, or one power play point, he scored the goal, which was a bit of a fluke goal in the game against Winnipeg. But he's getting it done so far, and he's looked better than he has. And I think that that now having less pressure on him to be that main guy will do well for him this season. And I think when we look back on, on a season review in a few months' time, We'll be saying, okay, you know, Shattenkirk wasn't great, but he wasn't bad, right? He was a good 5-6 guy for the Ducks this year, and hopefully, you know, Drysdale and Lindholm and Fowler kind of led the way, and Shattenkirk was just a nice secondary option for the Ducks. Yeah, I I think for me, like, I I don't know that I would say 5-6. I'd say more of a 4-5, but I think he's the kind of 4-5 that you put on a third pair to increase it up a little bit. But I think the other thing that was interesting is everything Jay said and everything I said they don't really contradict because I was talking about him being a little bit better in the offensive end and Jay is talking about him not being great in the defensive end. And I think we all accept at this point that his own end is not where he's going to be making his impact unless it's making outlet passes. But to see him be a little bit more effective, to see him be a little bit more engaged at the other end of the ice, to me, it, it gives me some hope that it's not you know, a $4 million anchor, which again, like you said, like it's not the end of the world, but it's not something you're really keen on. 
So, you know, I, I think at, if he plays about this well or a little bit better as the year goes on, there's a chance somebody calls. And that's kind of what you're hoping for. That somebody picks up the phone and goes, hey, like, what's it going to take? So, so that's what I'm hoping yeah. for. Well, they'll remember what he did with <laughs> Tampa Bay, too, right? And Yeah, his his name carries weight, I think, is what yeah. it is. It's more of, you know, you know, oh, who's out there? Oh, we can get that guy. Oh, yeah, oh, he's, he's been around forever. He was, you know, highly sought after. And, you know, he's on a bad Anaheim team. So, you know, maybe he'll do well for us. And then hopefully there's maybe a little overpayment in our uh, favor. But, yeah, I guess part of it, too, is my expectation. My expectation was this guy was going to come in. He was going to be a 2-3 stud, and it just it's never materialized. Um, you know, on the offensive side, it's kind of there a little bit at moments, but I don't think it makes up for the glaring defensive problems that he that I've seen just in the last two games. So It's understandable, though. I mean, he did have an amazing goal in that first game. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great, huh? <laughs> but like, like it's it's understandable why you know Ducks fans would be upset with him because of what he was brought in and touted as being when he was brought in was to be you know the savior of the power play essentially and to be you know a top you know three or four defenseman for the Ducks coming off winning a Stanley Cup. So it's hard to, to kind of remove that from it. But I think there would be teams out there that would say, okay, you know, if we shelter his minutes, if we give him a lot of offensive zone starts at five on five. If we keep him away from the opposition's best players, we play him on maybe second power play, then he can do a job for us. And if the Ducks, whether they eat salary or whatever, uh, or get salary in return, like I think there could be teams that would be interested in come deadline. And if not, like he, he's still a, a decent piece for the Ducks have to, to have around. Because I don't think it's not like the Ducks have a, a slew of defensemen behind him ready to jump in like they do at forward right now, where you know it's not like Mahura is just so good right now and the way he's playing is oh wow i can't believe they're keeping Mahura down i want to see him play but you know what i mean it's not like he he's playing out of his mind and you know it's shattenkirk blocking his way you know it's not like larson and Gooley are playing so good that shattenkirk needs to get out of here now so it's uh it, i wouldn't mind seeing him stick around but it also would be nice to to get one his cap hit off the book and and to get some more assets in return for for some of these veteran guys but um the, the one guy I want to hit on before we move on from the wild game and get into some of our other topics here is obviously Anthony Stolarz. Really big for him to get off to the season the way he did because somebody now has to fill Ryan Miller's shoes behind uh, John Gibson. We talked about briefly when we were talking about Gibby's injury here, like if Gibson gets injured, Stolarz is going to be the guy that has to jump in and take majority of these starts because I don't think they want to throw Dossal in just yet. Uh, they might have to for back-to-backs if Gibson gets a, a long-term injury or gets injured for like a, a couple weeks here or there. But it's nice to see Stolarz get off to such a good start because his short 10-game Anaheim career he's had, he's put up some really good numbers, right? Like he had one game in 2019-20 that they lost, but he did really well just like he did in the one game he's played this year against Minnesota. Played eight games last year at a 4-3 and record, 2.2 goals against average and a 9.26 save percentage with one shutout. Like he has been good in the small ten game sample size that he's played for Anaheim, and it's big for him to get off the way he did in an unexpected start uh, on Friday against the Wild. So it'll be interesting to see how well he 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 can keep that up and if he continues to do that for the rest of the year because the Ducks are going to need that if they're going to win games. It's not just going to be John Gibson. There's going to be times that Anthony Stolarz is going to have to come in and do a job just like he did uh, against the Wild on Friday. Yeah. So, oh, go, Jack. Go. 
Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, from the stylistic point of um, how he plays, I mean, he's, he's a big guy, but he's also very focused and dialed in. Like, he, he follows the puck really, really well. So even if, you know, he's got to go side to side, you notice his head is always kind of fixated on the puck, and they call it head tracking. Um, so he his style is really really good fundamentally he's really good so usually when you're that big and your fundamentals are good and you're quick side to side like he is you're gonna have success so i i fully endorse him as being the backup and i think he can be a number one on on other teams as well because if he's doing that this well with the ducks team i wouldn't even expect gibby to do that well in in that minnesota game that stolars did so he's he's impressed me from last season into this one. So I think it's good backup that will give us same quality starts like Ryan Miller did. Yeah, I think that was the thing for me. Like, I tweeted it out, like, when I saw it. And the big question for me was, is like, how good does Anthony Stolarz have to be to get uh, Murph to call Brian Burke and just be like, what up? And, you know, the answer I ended up coming up with was about exactly this good for 15 to 20 games. And, like, that's that's kind of the question I want to ask you two, which is if this looks close to the real deal from Stolars, right? Because again, the end of last season was a little weird and I had been waiting to see more this year from him just to get a better idea. But that game yesterday, again, only one game or Friday, he looked really good. He looked like a guy that I would not really have a problem putting out there 50 games uh, over the course of a season. And with him being that good and being a little bit older, I think he's in his late 20s, I think he's like 27, and Dostal apparently being at a level where they're interested in bringing him up, I I do wonder if you guys think it would make sense to actually start looking at some John Gibson trades. Could. It, it, it very well could. Like Dave brings up a good point too, that, Do- uh, that Stolarz himself could be a good trade chip at the deadline, depending on how Stolarz kind of first half of the season goes with San Diego. So I I think it could be either or. I don't think they ever trade John Gibson mid-season. Uh, I just I just can't imagine you get full value for a mid-season. I, I don't think any team is willing to move, especially like good young players on their roster in the middle of the season. The teams that would be going after John Gibson, I don't think the number of suitors is as high in the season as it would be in the offseason. I, I think, you know, if Stillwise plays well and if Dostal plays well, throughout the entire season and then you go into the offseason with all three of them then maybe you can look at trading john gibson or maybe he asked for a trade because some of the comments he had at the beginning of the year about another season mm-hmm. of losing are i mean he's not wrong and i don't blame him whatsoever he wants to win he's getting to you know kind of the later 20 part of his career here so i can understand that but i think mid-season Maybe more potential to move Stolars at the deadline if there's a lot of interest and in, in the price is right, depending on how Dostal is doing and what they want to do for Dostal's development if they want to throw him into the fire this early. Yeah, I, I would think kind of on the, on the same level. Very rarely do you see, you know, a, a trade deadline or anything like that where a goalie, a top goalie, goes to another team. It, it happens so rarely. Um, and on top of that, yeah, I think it's probably more likely that they want to trade Stolars because Dostal would be the one that can basically come in and probably fill his shoes and then exceed that once he kind of gets that playing time. I don't think they do necessarily anything this season with either of them because I think they want Dostal to get 
more reps. And for goalies, just seeing more and being a starter, you, you just learn the game a little bit more and you get a little bit more familiar with how the, the game plays. So I think they want to try and give him as many starts as possible, keeping him in, in uh, San Diego until, you know, unless there's an injury or something like that. So I think they, they probably maybe look to either trade Stolarz in the offseason or Gibby if Dostal is looking really good. But I think they have a really I think they're going to have a, a hard internal <laughs> debate on whether to get rid of John Gibson or, or not get rid of him, but trade him for anything. I think they're kind of set with how good he is still and mm-hmm. at the price point he's at. So, you know, they couldn't run into that problem. They necessarily won't run into that problem with uh, Stolarz. So. Yeah, I, I get that. I just think like, and Pat's not here so we can have this conversation. Um, uh, my thing would be like, just like Colorado, right? If you make a trade that brings back Darcy Kemper, that gives you a guy that you can put in for the rest of the season. You can ask him to be a number one. Him and Stolarz can split it. You can still see what Stolarz has, but you're confident enough that, say, Kemper gets injured. Stolarz can fill in for you. It allows Dostal to stay down there. Like, I think any trade that sends Gibby out, a goalie's coming back. Now, if that's Tristan Yari, then yeah, now Stolarz is your starter. <laughs> Because Tristan Yari is not very good. But, you know, I mean, someone in the chat mentioned Toronto and like, yeah, maybe you bring back Peter Mrazek. I'm not 100% thrilled about that idea. I think he makes too much money. Um, But at the end of the day, you're moving out $6.5 million in cap hit and you're going to be getting a very solid return for Gibby. So I, I agree with you both as in so much as that I think it is difficult to make that level of trade for any player of that level in the season, specifically when you think about goalies and acclimating and all that kind of stuff. But I, I do think if we get to middle of December and Stolarz looks about this good or close to it, I, I think it is at least worth investigating what's out there because there are going to be teams that need a goalie and may be willing to do something crazy because my other favorite one is a Gibby for Carter Hart trade. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, oh, so. uh, for me, there's only a few teams, not only in season, but in the off season that really have the capability and have the assets and then also the need for John Gibson at his mm-hmm. current point. Um, Toronto, maybe. It all depends on how Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic do this year, so there's a lot of ifs with that one. I think Boston potentially could be one, but their issue with Boston is I don't know what assets they have that entice the Ducks. Their prospect pool has been fairly depleted over the last couple of years with the, the long runs that they've had and the guys that they've added. So there's not much there that I think entices the Ducks. And first-round picks at that point from a team like Boston aren't, aren't enough. You'd have to get a few, a, a few of right. them for it to be worth anything. And then the one team that kind of intrigues me, because I've, you know, we've heard from their management that depending on how they're doing at the deadline, they could look to add when a lot of people would expect them as a seller is New Jersey, because there's no guarantee that Blackwood <laughs> is going to be the guy that takes a starting role. Wedgwood, I think, or no, Bernier is their other guy now, um, mm-hmm. and that's you know, again, he's a good backup, but if. Those guys can't take the starter job this year. If New Jersey surprises everybody and Jack Hughes becomes a superstar, which, I mean, he had a great first game. So he's he, he's on his way. And Nico Hischer and obviously Tatar and Dougie Hamilton and all these guys, they said they could be a team that adds 
at the deadline. Dawson Mercer started for them, so maybe he spends the entire year with them. And as uh, someone put in the chat here, maybe Alexander Holtz's name comes up. Who knows? I don't know if, if New Jersey would be willing to move on from a guy like that. But if they really think they can be competitive in what's supposed to be a wild metropolitan division this year and think they're going to be good over the next couple of years, John Gibson makes a lot of sense for them. They have the assets to do it. They have the high-level assets to get it done as well. So if if one if an in-season trade was ever to happen for John Gibson, I think the only likely place is New Jersey. But obviously, I still think an off-season trade is, is definitely more likely. More likely. Yeah, I would agree with New Jersey. Um, remember, they tried to get uh, Corey Crawford, and then he ended up retiring. So they were looking for that franchise goalie and uh you know just based on some of the, the starts and some of the games doesn't seem like anyone that they have right now is that franchise uh type goalie so i think they they plug a big hole if they're able to get someone like john gibson in there i think they try to do that with Crawford. and it, yeah. my, my favorite part about this because it will play into a, a lot of what steven said in the past is you could take pk Subban back and give them a lot of a lot of cap flexibility to use at the <laughs> deadline to go out and, and get a few PK. more pieces. So <laughs> I had to throw that no, bit in there. I appreciate you. But no, the other thing <laughs> with New Jersey is they've got all the stuff going on with Blackwood right now as far as whether he will or will not be getting vaccinated. And, like, even if he does get his shots and, like, you know, he's able to come back into the fold, like, there's no guarantee how that's going to play in the room. And there's questions about that. He's 24 years old. He only makes under $3 million, But, like, to Jay's point, I think he's a starter, but I don't know that he's a guy that you're comfortable with being like, this is the guy for five years. Um, I think he's a guy you're comfortable playing until you can upgrade, which Gibson would be. And it, they just signed Dougie. They got Jack Hughes on, what, the last year or so of his good deal. Yeah. Um, let's see. Jack Hughes. Yeah, last year of his thing. So, like, you know, if you take back a Sudan, if you take back you know, uh, some of those other contracts maybe on the books. Like, I I think there's a a very good chance that Jersey makes a lot of sense. They've got Mercer. They've got Holtz. Um, you know, and the other thing with Mercer is I believe Mercer's a center, and they've already got their top two centers. So if there was anybody that could afford to move out a potential top six center, it is a team that already has Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there's a lot that makes sense on that, and, and I'm sure we'll get into John Gibson talk in the offseason once the trade rumors heat up a little bit more again. But there's a few things I want to get to uh, before we get into some of our other topics here. Uh, I want to go over the best and worst performance of the week and get your guys' thoughts on it. Uh, start with you, uh, Jay. Who, who would be your best performer of the week and who would be your worst performer of the week for the Ducks? I would... Uh... I would say the best performers are probably both of our goalies. <laughs> like uh, they, they were absolutely outstanding in both games. Uh, Stolzars uh, definitely deserved a better outcome in that one, but uh, they, they bailed us out, uh, bailed the team out on a lot of plays. I mean, the, the, that could have easily been a loss in that first game without Gibby doing what he was doing. And that could have been an absolute blowout with Minnesota. And you know, we were competitive all the way till the seven <clears throat> second mark. Um, and then I would say, um, See, now, I have his team as uh, Paterin, but how do you guys pronounce it? I think it is Paterin, but I was saying Paterin. Okay. Okay, all right. I didn't know I had it wrong. I'm getting the game wrong. How weird. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start the Twitter uh, firestorm for him. 
Uh, I think he was he was god awful. Um, in in the first goal that went in, uh, I was on the you know he was on the penalty kill, but he's just sitting there down on one knee, kind of getting up and down, and trying to like use his leg as a blocker, you know, to block passes, and it deflects right to the the far side, and that's how they got their first goal. But he was he was sitting there, he seemed out of out of place. He was chasing the the game a whole lot. It just he looked god off on that's a reason why he got set down or he's at least cleared waivers and no one wants to touch that. So he, he, he really upset me last game when I was just watching him. It was just bad. All right, Steven, <laughs> who, who's your best and worst performer of the week? I, I think Jay is right in that it's the goalies, but just to not have us me basically repeat everything he said, I, I will go with Lundy. I think he's looked really solid. I think he's looked like he is more than capable of being a middle six center, I think him and Gru are the two that I would say should be, uh, you know, the the guys in line for a third line center, and I think both of them can play together. Um, you know, I I think Lund there's a lot about Lundestrom's game that I really like. I think his game has evolved. I think he he has shown that he can make plays in his uh, in the offensive zone, but that's never going to be his calling card. But like he's developed into a really solid checker like he's very smart he's got good skating like he's able to be in the right places and make good plays he's relentless on the forecheck um you know there i just think lundy's looked really good so far we'll have to see obviously as the season goes on how he does but there's every reason to be optimistic about who isaac lundestrom can become in the next two three years um for worst performers yeah i mean adderin uh, he's been pretty bad, but I, I, I'll eat crow here and I'll say Josh Manson is not look good, man. I think to me because there are moments where I see some of the stuff that, you know, really endears him to me as far as his physicality and, and uh, you know, his ability to get people moved out of the front of the net. But like he's getting beat on the outside a lot right now and like he's he just doesn't look completely comfortable. Is it his haircut? I can't say for sure, but all I will say is as his hair gets longer, he gets worse, so I feel like he should get a haircut. Uh, not to turn into the Yankees, but yeah, I mean, you know, for me, those those would be the guys I would kind of point out. Where are you Yeah, at? I mean, Silverberg for me is the best performer of the week. Uh, I got to go with the guy leading the Ducks in points. I thought he's looked good in both games. Uh, I, I think he's looked more engaged offensively. I think that pairing with Isaac Lindstrom, for me, those two would be the, the top two performers of the week, and Lindstrom's right behind Silverberg. I'm thinking Tavers kind of sneaks in there as well. Obviously, the goaltenders, mm-hmm. Gibson and, and Stolarz, but if we're looking at guys who, who played in, in both games, yeah, I, I gotta go Silverberg for, for that. Um, I, I just think he, he has looked really good in, in kind of the small sample size to start the year, and I hope that line continues to to keep going over the, the next four games this week. But for worst performer, uh, I think, yeah, Patteron is, is definitely one. Uh, and then Josh Manson would have been my pick. I, I just think when we look at expectations, I didn't think Patteron would have made the lineup. I mean, him looking bad isn't really surprising. But for Josh Manson, it's just disappointing to see the way he started the year and, and the fact that he just doesn't really look ready to go because of how important he's supposed to be this year. And now that you know he's not with Lindholm and it's Drysdale and Lindholm, and he's with Fowler, and we know how hit and miss Fowler and Manson has been. You know, some seasons it's great, a lot of a lot of years it's not so great when they're together. And I think Fowler's actually looked pretty good. And now it's Manson has kind of been the lone piece of that who just doesn't look like he knows where he belongs in in this roster. And 
that's not a good sign because Stephen, you and I talked about this on the mailbag episode about you know guys heading into unrestricted free agent status at the end of this year and guys that could potentially be moved mm-hmm. and Raquel and Manson are at the top of that list and the worse Manson plays, the less the Ducks are going to get for him at the deadline if they want to move him or maybe even the less likely they will be to move him because we know how much Bob Murray will stick with a guy until he gets what he wants. So I, I hope Josh mm-hmm. Manson can get it together here because the better he plays, the better chance he gets moved out and we don't sign him to a ridiculously bad five-year by $6 million contract over the next little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know we're pushing close to an hour, so there are a few things I do want to hit on because they were kind of hot-button topics of the, of the first few games. I think the main one is Trevor Zegras and his ice time usage again. That mm-hmm. has been a topic of discussion since last year. We all expected going into this year that that would change. You know, he had some chemistry with come to Ontario. They didn't get put together. And, you know, even even without that, playing with Henrik and Raquel, you just expected the feeling was he'd be the number one center this year. And he'd be playing 16, 17, 18 minutes a night. He'd be getting the most minutes of, of or at least top five minutes among forwards. Well, he plays 13, 22 in the first game against Winnipeg. But the Ducks were shorthanded, I think, five or six times. Couldn't really get going um, offensively to get him out there. So that's understandable. You, you could say, okay, that's just one game. Well, we go into Friday against Minnesota. Trevor Zegers plays 14-37. It's one of the lowest uh, among fours in the game. And, and the big thing, again, is Derek Grant played 17 minutes against the Minnesota Wild because he was hard-matched against Kaprizov, which, again, makes no sense to, to play. Wait, 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 so this is this is I think a thing that bothers me about this part of the conversation. Was Derek Grant hard matched against Kirill Kaprizov? Was Bo Gru hard matched against Kirill Kaprizov? Because the end of the Minnesota game that everybody's bitching about, Bo, Bo Gru was out there with Mason McTavish and Derek Grant. As we know, one of the things about Derek Grant that this team has always valued is his ability to win faceoffs and. His ability, his willingness to block shots. I'm not saying he gets in front of them all, but he's shown that he's willing to do that. He does all that crap that you want your fourth line grinder to do. I think it is indicative of where Ducks fans are at mentally and emotionally right now. Then rather than be like, oh my God, this kid who's in his second pro game, who hasn't even been brought up before this year, is being put out on the ice at center against the guy who probably should have won or was a legitimate MVP candidate last year. He's a 24-year-old goal scorer. He's right in the middle of, or he's right at the beginning of his ability to be an incredible impact player, uh, put up points. And they put Bo Gruel out there. Like, wait, like, like I, I get why seeing Derek Grant out there is frustrating, but you have to also look at who else was out there. And, like, for me, seeing Bo Gruel out there, like, I don't give a shit, man. If he's out there every time with Derek Grant, I'm fine with that. But put him out there. Those are the positions he needs to be in to develop. Because it's either him or Lunderstrom are the two guys that should be out there. I don't want Getzloff out there. Getzloff, you know, he's 400 years old. He's not going to be playing forever. He has nothing to learn. Put the two kids out there who are probably going to be taking these matchups as this team starts to compete again and let them take their lumps. I, I really do feel like there was a significant overreaction to the goal. At the end of the middle, I, I'm, I'm really strictly does. talking about over the entire length of the game. I completely understand 
Dare Grant, if you want to put him out there at the last little bit of the game, it doesn't go well for them, whatever. But I understand at the end of the game, having him out there, not, I wouldn't put Trevor Zegers out there in that situation at the end of the game at all. It doesn't make sense where you're you know, going against Kaprizov. That's fine. I mean, across an entire game, the fact that Zegers played 13-22 against the Jets and 14-37 against Minnesota. And in both of those games, I believe was in the bottom five in five on five, five v five minutes at home where you get to basically pick sure. the matchups. That, for me, is concerning because we saw that last year. Yeah, it's only two games, but we saw this last year, and we talked about this heavily on the podcast last year. Zegers' usage over an entire game was not right at the level that I want it to be. I understand, and as Brett mentions in the chat, they took a lot of penalties in game one. They took a lot of penalties in game two, and that limits it. But we still have, you know, Bertel played 1544, uh, Silva played 1636, Henry played 15.55. You know, his line mates played almost a full two minutes more than him, right? So I, I just, I, I want to see the point where we get to where take the reins off a little bit. Let, just play, don't don't treat him as the prized possession, the prized prospect. We got to <laughs> baby him a little bit. Right, let him go he's not there. delicate. I, let him play. Yeah. Treat him like every other guy out there and put him out there in situations that he can excel in. I, I get it. I understand it. You want to be careful with him. I completely get it, but it's getting to the point like you gotta let this kid play. Just play him. Put him out there in, in situations like there's been times where the Ducks have an offensive zone faceoff with five minutes to go. They put Derek Grant out there to win the faceoff. He immediately goes off the ice. Trevor Zegers comes on. Just put the kid out there to take the faceoffs. A hundred percent. I let me say this. I I a hundred percent agree with the big picture takeaway. But when it was the it was you mentioning Kirill Kaprizov, and I wanted to just bring that up. The other thing, though, is on it, I'm looking at natural stat trick for both games total time on ice. How many more seconds or minutes do you think Grant has played than Zegers at 5 on 5? It, it's probably close. It's within it's under a minute. 47 yeah. seconds. 47 seconds. It's one shift. Now, again, it, it shouldn't be that far ahead at 5 on 5. If he beats him in time on ice and it all comes on the penalty kill, that's great. That's kind of closer to what we should be looking at. I 100% agree that there are deployment issues. There are issues with their being excessively delicate with Zegras. I don't think it's worth it. I think you've got to let him out there and get him take his lumps. They've got to kind of do with him offensively what they are already kind of willing to do with Gru, which is just let him go out there and let him get his ass kicked and see if he figures it out. So I, I 100% agree with the big picture takeaway, but I, I do think there is a a hyper focus on every time Derek Grant is on the ice and not looking at like who's Derek playing with in for sure. So say yeah, I think when you look at the five on five numbers, the fact that Grant is even within scratching difference or distance of some of these guys at five on five is what worries me. I understand you have matchups and Kaprizov is going to play. Scratch. Yeah, that 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 backfired pretty quickly. <laughs> but the fact that like he even gets close to these guys. On five on five minutes, I understand Kaprizov is going to yeah. play. Like what Kaprizov played twenty tw over twenty minutes in that game, so I understand that Grant's going to be out there a significant amount at five on five to counter that. It grew who played sixteen twenty two in the game. That's going to account for that. I I get it, but at some point you just got to trust the kid and throw him out there and get him some more minutes to make things happen. And and. 
Zegris doesn't have a crisis of confidence. I mean, that guy just is confident through and through. Even if he makes mistakes, they always pan to him on the bench, and he's constantly talking like, well, what should I have done mm-hmm. here? And, you know, he's looking at things, so he wants to get better. He wants to learn, and that's fine. You know, he's, he's you know, that's the kind of player that I, I think you want is like, hey, I'm, I'm struggling this, but I want to be better, so let's figure that out and let's work on it. So that's a guy you kind of just you let him you do it. You don't you don't hold him. Well, he might lose that face off. He may not want to play hockey after that. It's like, shut yeah. up. Just go play. He wants yeah. to play. He has fun. That brings up a good point it, here you know, with, looking... in the chat where he says, like, Higgins is a roll four lines coach. Like, he, yeah, he is. Sure. That's fine. And and maybe my issue isn't more so with the amount of minutes that Zegers is playing. It's it's those situations I mentioned before where you've got a player out there in his place on his line to take a face off or in a defensive zone face off or whatever it may be that will immediately go to the bench and then he'll come on. I don't see the point yeah. in that. Then you're babying him at that point because you're not doing that for anybody else. Just let him play in those situations. Maybe that accounts to 30 extra <laughs> seconds on a night. I don't really care. At the end of the day, you know, I'm whether he plays 15, 16, 17 minutes, I would love to see him play more as long as he's being kind of treated the same as other guys and not babied a little bit and saying, hey, like, we're going to put you out in these important situations because you're our best player offensively. It's not like he's a detriment to the Ducks defensively either. So I, I just want to see them use him in more situations instead of plugging in a guy in because they think it's going to be a safer option. And then having him go to the bench and Seekers come on. That that's not gonna benefit the kid. You just need to play him the same you're gonna play everybody else. You know, put him out there with his line at all situations that they're out there. Yeah. The other thing that's worth mentioning in this too, where we talk about the way that they're treating the kids, is Jamie Drysdale second on the team in time on ice. Uh for even strength. He's ahead of Manson, he's ahead of Fowler, he's ahead of Shattenkirk. Uh so, you know, uh, it it does seem that there does something there does seem to be a little bit of them treating Zegris as a little too precious, um, but you know they're not doing it with other guys, and I think that does make it a little bit more uh, head scratching when you do kind of think he has a chance to be the guy for this team for the next six or seven years. All right, quick fire answer to these questions, then we'll make our predictions for the upcoming week, and we'll wrap it up here. So, uh. Give me a quick letter grade for Drew and McTavish through the first two games. We'll start. A plus. A plus. B, yeah, B, B, B yeah. plus. I'd be, Shut I'd up. be, I'd be right around kind of B plus A minus range. They've looked good. I think McTavish has looked really good. What's that? Uh, I think Drew's looked really good. What's ahead of an A plus? A plus plus. <laughs> Whatever. A plus plus. Uh, early returns on Lindholm Drysdale. Positive, negative. Look good. I know he needs to stop taking penalties, but other than that, uh, he's doing all right. Don't yeah. listen to him, Hampus. Fuck him up. <laughs> yeah. He's not taking those penalties. He's taking tripping penalties. This week will be really important <laughs> for that. I want to see them together for all four games this week. I don't want them to get too you know, crazy and start switching things up, moving guys around. I want to see these guys together for as long as we can, get a bigger sample size, and see what they can do together. Um, and last one. Yeah, those two should basically be a sack race yeah. where they're just tied together at yeah. all times. Uh, Sam Steele, does he come in this week, and how many games does he play? Uh, that really depends on what he does. Um, I, I think he'll. I think with moving Grant out, that's to kind of make room for Steele. Um, so I think they're gonna give him give him a shot, but I think it's a short leash, and um, you know they may just want to put him back in the the AHL if he can't do anything. So. 
I don't have a whole lot of confidence. Um, so I would say, you know, are you saying over the course of the season, how many games does he get? No, 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 four games this week. Just out of the four in the week. He probably gets, he probably gets three of them, I would say. I think he plays on Monday, and I think if he plays well, he will get in in the back-to-back, but I do think he'll hit two games. I would expect uh, Monday and Thursday to be the games that he plays. I, I expect two. I think Monday for sure. Uh, I think that we'll, we'll see maybe later today uh, who they end up calling up to replace Grant and Pattern. If it's one for it, it could be Milano or Volkov, which I think they'll end up trying to find a way to get those guys into the lineup throughout the week, too. So I think he at least plays two. Uh, and hope he plays well. I want to see him do well. Um. All right. Our last part of the show here. Pick them for the week for the games. Ducks play the Flames. All right, it's a road trip to Western Canada, then finishing off the week uh, on the road and with the Wild. So it's Monday against the Flames, Tuesday against the Oilers, Thursday against the Jets, and Saturday against the Wild. Pat put his picks in here. He says a win against the Flames, loss against the Oilers, loss against the Jets, and wrap up the week with a win against the Wild. Stephen, what are your predictions for the Ducks this week? I think they know for no. For, oh, God. I think they go. I think oh, they're going to know for. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think they're going to be in a bad spot this week because I think uh, if there is anybody that I trust to know how to make Anaheim miserable, it's Daryl Sutter. And that's the weakest roster of the three. And I don't see them being able to keep up with the Oilers. They already beat the Jets. The Jets aren't going to want that. And I don't see how they beat the Wild. So I, I think they know for. All right, Jason, what do you what do you think? It is. Yeah. Um, so. I don't really like their chances on a back-to-back, especially against the Oilers. Um, but I do think that they can come in. The Flames have their own their own issues, too. Um, they're really underperforming. So I think that there's one, at least, hey, we're kicking off everything here. Let's go out and redo it. You know, even though we lost, we lose by a lot. And, you know, we're the power plays kind of kicking. Maybe that gives them a few more goals. So I'd say win on the Flames. I don't have a lot of faith in that back-to-back. I think the Jets um, are um, – looking for maybe a little bit better outcome. They feel that they maybe deserve, so I think uh, they play a little bit harder on the Ducks. That'll also be a third game in four nights. A little rough, a lot of traveling. Uh, and then going to Minnesota, um, I think Minnesota is just, they're, they're matched up better. They, they ended up beating the Kings the other night, too. Um, so I think Minnesota is going to be kind of a, a little bit of a dark horse this season anyways. So uh, it's the end of the, the road trip, and really, you know, four games in, was that, five five nights? Yeah, six yeah. nights, yeah. I mean that's that's rough at any point, especially if it's at the end of the um, uh, road trip too. So maybe they start eyeing going back home, that sort of deal. So um, yeah, I have them a loss. On, so on so win win so. loss 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 for the week. Yeah, that that's that's what I got too. Um, I I think they could. Whatever, copycat. You just want to. <laughs> There's only me. like four yeah. scenarios that I can really pick. Go on. But uh, <laughs> I I think they they get a win against the Flames. Uh, again, similar to Jason's point here, the Flames are having their own problems. Uh, they looked okay in their game. I think last night they played uh, Edmonton. They, they looked decent, but yeah. they, they haven't wowed me yet in the goaltending. Markstrom did not look great in that game either. Um, I think going in against the Oilers, not back-to-back, the way McDavid has started, the Oilers don't play on Monday either, so they're going to be fresh. That That's a tough game <laughs> to have to go into Edmonton and play uh, the way the Oilers are playing. And Apulio Arby looks great, too. Uh, I think he's on the line with McDavid and uh, he's coming to his own. That game against the Jets is tough. The Jets don't play Wednesday. They're rested. Your your third game in four nights, uh, and they're going to be pretty steamed about the way the the first game went. So that's going to be a tough one. And, and unfortunately, I think that game again on Saturday, like it's a, we've been in Western Canada for the entire week. Now you're going to fly down to Minnesota 
and and a rematch with the Wild in a game that was already tough for them to play against them before. Uh, I, I think it's going to be tough. I, I think if they were going to squeak out a second win, it would be that game against the Wild. I just think the Oilers and the Jets, the way the schedule is, it's going to be too tough. But uh, I'll give them credit for the win in uh, in Calgary. I'm not uh, not quite as doom and gloom as, as Steven over here with four straight losses. <laughs> or I guess it would be five straight right. losses. So. Two things before we get out of here. One, which one of you freaking jerks did the three goals in three games Heinen tweet? Because I'm going to fight me. you. I, I knew yeah, that I would stir things you. up. Yeah, somebody already commented on that and it was like, oh, well, he's playing. Yeah, I know he's playing with other linemates. I just knew it would get people going. Kind of I just knew it would be. Yeah, you're just being a troll. Okay. I knew it was you, but as long as you admit you're yes. being a troll. Uh, second thing, uh, before we get out of here, we just wanted to say uh, we really appreciate you guys sticking with us. We're really hoping everybody's excited about the new format. Uh, we do have the Patreon. We'd love it if you come join us. We're going to make sure we're putting some stuff out. We've got the, the Discord where, again, everybody goes in and makes fun of me. Uh, it's a good time. Hey, so the same as the Twitch chat, yeah, then, right? I know. <laughs> it's a little too early and a little too warm for me to wear that sweater, man. I'd have hives on my neck. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not a. Uh, but you know, it's a great time. And then even uh, outside of the Patreon, we're trying to put out some stuff. Me and Eddie and you know, two of our peoples just did a uh, really fun draft. Uh, blind draft. We would, I, we would really, really love to hear from you guys uh, what you think about the stuff. Even if you hate it, yell at us. It's worth it for us. We want to make sure we're giving you guys stuff you like. But uh, we're really excited about, uh, you know, this season and hopefully all the stuff we're going to be putting out for you guys. And Eddie is doing uh, prospect stuff on the Forever Mighty website, and uh, I, we've been talking about trying to sit down just once a month and take a big picture pod just about some of what those guys are doing and stuff like that and then i've got the dumb sub stack and i'll be putting more stuff out on that uh so you know just uh stick with us and we really appreciate everybody showing up on a sunday afternoon yep oh it was so sad like, please don't leave us just stick around <laughs> <laughs> you guys but, uh, yeah th- thanks for coming out guys as steven said uh patreon is patreon.com slash forever mighty make sure to check that out we've got a pucks and brews coming up soon uh, and some additional shows that we're going to throw on there as well. Uh, Pat will be hopefully back uh, for next week. Uh, if anybody who didn't hear on the post game show, <laughs> we're uh, we're switching to a weekly schedule. Uh, where either Saturday or Sunday every week we'll be recording a show to break down the action. So a lot more games on the upcoming show. Four games to break down, and uh, a few post game shows thrown in there. But uh, if you want to kind of find out when those are going to happen follow us on social media because those will likely be either a, a day of or day before decision if we're going to do that probably two or three a month at most uh that we're going to sit down and do and do and just kind of for for big moments you know if docil has his first start we'll probably do one for that you know zegers has a big night we'll, we'll hop on and do that so that's kind of the schedule we're following but everybody that came out live and listening after the fact appreciate it enjoy the game tomorrow against calgary and we will see you guys next week bye guys later